0: Hello and welcome to Anawituen's English podcast, episode number 52. In today's podcast, we're going to have a look at a grammar point that students love to hate. Secretly, they love it, but they like to complain a lot about it. <laughs> in my quick win this week, I've chosen a word that is actually a word in English, but we do not use to describe this term. And finally, I'm going to finish up telling you about my opinion on a topic which I read about in the news this week and I'm going to give you a little speaking activity that you can do on your own at home to practice your English as well. But before we get started as per usual let's have some nice samba music please. Get on to our first topic today, which is a student question. Now, Efren, you sent me this question back when I asked everybody what problems they have in English, and you sent me a message saying first conditional, second conditional, third conditional. So, this one is for you. Thanks so much, Efren, as well, for your ongoing support and feedback throughout the podcast. It's really, really appreciated. You've been there since the beginning, I think, since English for Dessert. So it's worth, an, it's worth a mention. Now, as I said in the introduction, conditionals are things that students love to hate. They love them because there's rules, but they hate them because they can be a little bit difficult, a little bit challenging. There's always two parts to a conditional, the condition and the main clause, or you can also call that the condition and the result. Okay, you'll, you'll hear both there. But my message is don't really be scared of conditionals and in fact conditionals in English hear me out are much easier than conditionals in Spanish just saying (laughs) we don't need to think about any of the subjunctive or any of that shit no 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 The ones that we use the most, the most common ones that we use are the first and the second conditional. And actually the third conditional is the one that students find most difficult because it has a lot of contractions in there that we use. I'll come on to that. So that one's definitely the most difficult. Now, one key mistake that you need to avoid with conditionals is that if is never with the main clause, Let me explain. You can never say if, will, or if, would. For example, let's take a first conditional sentence, which is also known as the future conditional. If I have enough money, or if I have enough time, let's say if I have enough time. If I have enough time, I'll go to London at Christmas. If I have enough time, okay, here the condition is in the present tense. If I have enough time, that's the condition, main clause, I'll go to London. But what we can't say, which sounds really super bad and like car crash English, is if we say, if I'll have, if I'll go to London, if I have, no, yeah, gross, horrible. I'll go to London if I have time. We can also change it round as well. We can invert it. We can put one way in front of the other. It doesn't change the meaning. We use them. We use that structure interchangeably. I wouldn't be able to tell you which one we use, when and which one we use. So it doesn't matter if you put it either way around. I would say, however, that I normally start with if and actually when I'm practicing with my students I also normally start sentences with if okay just to keep it simple to keep it consistent first once you've got that pattern because it is like a pattern it's like a formula like I was saying before one of the reasons that students love conditionals is that there's like a formula there's a pattern that you can follow The best way to practice conditionals is literally just to repeat the sentences millions and millions of times. Well, millions maybe, I'm over-exaggerating, but thousands of times. And as a teacher, if you're an intermediate or an advanced student, this is one area that I'm going to push you on. So this is one area that I would, number one, expect you to be able to do Okay, if you're in an intermediate, middle intermediate, up intermediate, for sure you should be able to do the first conditional and the second conditional. And I would expect to be challenging you on the third conditional. Now, most students are absolutely fine with this first and the second, but as I said, with the third conditional, we seem to have a little bit of a problem because of the contractions mainly. And it's like a block. Okay, even when I'm speaking in Spanish, I can be saying a lovely sentence, really nice, speaking really well. And then all of a sudden I have to say conditional and I get like sentence block because I'm almost overthinking the structure. And I think that is also what happens to students and in English as well. Now, we also have something called mixed conditionals. I'm not going to touch on that today because that's kind of like a different kettle of fish, but they are important because we do use them. The main thing is with mixed conditionals, whereas with the "in quote" normal conditionals, we're staying in the same time zone, the same time reference. For example, the first conditional is the future conditional. Okay, we're talking about possible or very likely situations in the future. and actually, I've been taught instead of using first and second and third to use future, present and past conditional because it's easier for the student to grasp, OK, when, where, what time reference am I in? OK, first, second and third is one that's very commonly known, but it doesn't really tell you what you're working with. Right. So the first conditional or the future conditional we're talking about easily or likely, sorry, situations that are going to happen in the future that we think from our perspective The second conditional or the present conditional, we're talking about very, very unlikely situations, but not impossible. Very, 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 very unlikely, but not impossible. For example, if I won the lottery, okay, now actually this one is impossible because I don't buy lottery tickets, but let's imagine that I buy a lottery ticket every Friday I don't actually know how the lottery works here in Spain, but in England, the, lo- the lottery was every, was every Friday or every Saturday. Well, whatever. Let's imagine that I buy a lottery ticket every Friday and I'm talking to my friend about it. You know, that conversation that everybody has with their friends or their colleagues at some point in their life. Well, if I won the lottery, I would buy a new house. I would buy a new car. Now, this situation is super unlikely. I think your chances of winning the lottery are like, I don't know, some some million to one or something like this. But it's not impossible. So the present conditional, we're talking about things that are very unlikely, but not impossible. Now, with that structure, we're using if plus the past tense for the condition. If I won, if I won the lottery. And then with your main clause, we're using the simple conditional with would. If I won the lottery, I would. Now, here we probably would contract. So if I won the lottery, I'd buy. I'd. If I won the lottery, I'd buy. Now, also, one thing where students flip out and they go super crazy is the speed that we say conditionals as well. So this is, again, something with practicing with repetition. You can practice your agility. We often use this word agility when we're talking about students and evaluating students' agility with the grammar. What does that mean? It basically means how fast are you able to reproduce a sentence without thinking? And also not only that, but how quickly are you able to change? For example, if I ask you a question with a conditional, are you then able to give me a presentation for two minutes? Like how how agile are you? Like are you able to just move between the gif- different grammar points really seamlessly? Or is there areas or are there areas where you struggle? So that's what we kind of mean when we talk about Agility, it's the same as in sports, right? Agility, it's kind of like agility with grammar. And you might hear me talk about that a little bit more. Now, the third conditional or the past conditional, as I said, this is the one that students really don't like. Now, here we're talking about impossible situations in the past. Impossible. okay? they've happened. We're we're theorizing about another situation that could have happened, but it didn't. Now, here we're using a lot of contractions. Let's practice with a nice, easy example to illustrate what I mean. If I'd been born, okay, if I'd been born in Spain, if I'd been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. So we're talking about, I mean, it's impossible, okay? I was born in England, so there's no way that I can go back and then be reborn in Spain. It would be very useful right now, but (laughs) it's never going to happen. It's impossible if I'd been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. Now, notice here, I'm not saying if I had been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. No, if I'd been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. So there's two contractions there that are super important. Let's have a look at the first one. If I'd, if I'd, that one from before with the simple conditional with would, if I'd been, if I'd been, I'd. The most common mistake that students make is they don't they don't pronounce that d sound hard enough so it sounds like i been there's not a d sound if i'd been born in spain i would have i would have spoken spanish would have would have now some there's a bit of debate actually some students say or some teachers sorry say woulda shoulda woulda coulda for that contraction but i think it lacks something with the v sound because i kind of still I still make the V sound with my with my voice. If I'd been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. So you can kind of say woulda or would've. So instead of saying would have, that contraction becomes woulda, would've. So the, const- the construction or the structure with that sentence is if plus the past perfect. If I'd been born, if I'd been born in Spain, I would have, or I would have, would have, plus the past participle. If I'd been born in Spain, I would have spoken Spanish. Now, the difference with those conditionals and the mixed conditionals is that with the mixed conditionals, we're playing with time references. So we're talking about a past tense that affects a present and the other way around. So that's why the mixed conditionals are different. The normal conditionals are playing with the same time references, but mixed conditionals are mixing it all around, and that's where it gets a little bit fucked up. But... If you're thinking, what else can I practice? You've got the thir- the three, third, the first, second and third conditional. You're happy with that. Go and have a look at mixed conditionals because we do use them. In fact, I really think we use mixed conditionals quite a lot. So perhaps I'll dedicate a little bit more time to that on one of my shows. So I just wanted to do a brief, I mean, I could speak about conditionals all day, <laughs> to be honest. I actually really enjoy teaching them and they're really fun to do with students. So I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to move on. But if you are intermediate or advanced, I would really suggest that you include conditionals as part of your training. You know, the training that you do at home, your practice that you're doing at home, you're studying. If you have any questions about conditionals or you'd like me to do more on conditionals, uh, let me know. Come and find me on Instagram at Anna with underscore two N's underscore English and send me a DM or a direct message and let me know so thank you very much for your suggestion a i hope that helped you let's move on to our quick win for this week so the quick win this week is actually to do with a word as i said in the introduction that is actually a word in english it's not that it doesn't exist it's just that we don't use it the same or we don't use it to describe this thing and there's actually another term that we use instead now the reason this occurred to me is because when I when my students are doing presentations and when I hear them talk about different cultural things especially or they're trying to describe the ways that people do things in countries like America or Europe they say the ocident or the ocident. Or with the adjective, they say occidental or occidental countries. <laughs> now, I have to say that I'd actually never heard this term being used in a spoken form before I came to Spain. So I was like freaking out and I'm like, occident? Like, I, I mean, I, I kind of assumed what it meant from the context, but I was like, I, we never use this word occident. Like, what's going on here? So I thought I'd look into it a little bit more and Ocident is actually or, well, Ocidents. It's actually a Latin word, okay? And the Ocident does exist in English and it means to describe the Western part of the world, especially the countries of Europe and America. And also actually they've linked in Australasia in there, which is kind of like this thing where Australia seems to be part of Europe, (laughs) but it's on the other side of the planet. This is like when Australia joined the Eurovision. It's like, uh, what? (laughs) I think we're just missing a bit of space there. Like, I think maybe... I mean, they're quite far. I mean... (laughs) Anyway, I'll come back to that. So instead of saying the Occident, normally what we would say is we would say the Western world. The Western world or Western countries. Or simply the West... So this is a quick trick to use for your vocabulary, okay? Rather than using occident or occidental, which your audience, especially if they're native speakers, probably if they're non-native speakers of English and they speak Latin languages, they'll probably understand you completely. However, a native speaker in English probably would be like, uh, what the fuck? Because it's just not language that we use to describe that, okay? We're much likely to say the Western world or Western countries or the West. So uh, Europe, the Americas, uh, all of that stuff. And I don't know why, but we just don't use it in, we just don't use it in everyday language. I think it's probably more used in an academic context, in a written context, but certainly not in a normal, everyday speaking context. Actually, the word in Latin, occident, well, I mean, I'm sure it's not pronounced like that. It means sunset or west. So, I mean, it makes complete sense. Uh, But we just don't say it. Okay, so that's my quick win for the week. Don't say occident or occidental you can say the West, you can say Western countries, you can say Western culture. And really, for me, especially, I mean, growing up in the UK, the East and the West, these are very common terms or geopolitical terms that I've grown up with, or that is has been part of my education throughout my and kind of popular culture throughout my life, really the East and the West. And um, it's a very common kind of They're very common terminologies of like division and whatever. Anyway, so as I was saying before, uh, Australia actually joined the Eurovision because sometimes the West, actually, if you look online, sometimes they include Australia and kind of Australasia being uh, Australia, New Zealand in that West category, even though they obviously are nowhere near Europe (laughs) and America. Uh, they actually joined the Eurovision in 2015, which I think most people were like, what? (laughs) Like, I remember hearing about that. And I was like, well, I mean, why? Well, actually, when you look into it, it's to do with the television network and uh, opportunity for advertising and making money, basically, and being a hit TV show. But you just kind of think, well, I think there's a bit of a gap there, you know, (laughs) like. I mean, there's lots of other countries that are closer than Australia that could have been part of the Eurovision Song Contest. But anyway, I don't think they've ever won it. I'm not sure how they how they do. If you follow the Eurovision, you'll know that the UK always comes uh, last or second to last. Like it literally wouldn't even matter if we had like somebody super famous. Like imagine having somebody like Madonna or Elton John at the Eurovision Song It wouldn't matter. Like we'd always come last. Like nobody likes us and especially not now after brexit i mean it's a little bit like hypocritical to be part of the eurovision when we're when we're like we don't want to be part of europe anymore but we'll take part in the eurovision song contest so we always come last the uk always always it's a very what people say that it's a very political um a very political show and there's been some really famous winners there was a a, a guy who had a beard who was a fantastic singer and i remember there being this like crazy rock band I'm not really into Eurovision but I mean I don't watch it but I know some people are like super (laughs) into Eurovision like they really love it um to be into something is it's actually a very I use it a lot if you notice on the podcast um it means to be interested in something like I'm not really into Eurovision or I'm really into Eurovision it means I'm really interested in it like I really like it um you know it could be a hobby like I'm really into cycling like I really enjoy it I I really like doing it so there you go we will wrap that up but my quick one for today this week is remember to use the west or western rather than saying occident or occidental especially if you're talking in front of a native audience to help them understand you when you're speaking to them now let's move on and have a look at the last part of today uh and my chosen topic for this week is actually about (laughs) tea Now, you're probably thinking that I'm going to talk about drinking tea um, in the UK, but I'm not, okay? This is not the angle that I'm going with for today. Now, I was reading an article about a really, what's actually a really amazing entrepreneurial story. Entrepreneur is one of those words that really fucks the students' heads, they're like, on. It starts with on rather than in. Entrepreneur. 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 Oof. It's hard to spell as well. Do you know what? A lot of native speakers make mistakes with this spelling. Um, I remember I used to have to look it up (laughs) because I don't know why, but I always used to spell it wrong. Um, Anyway, entrepreneur, a woman, a a young woman uh, was working and one day she woke up and she said, fuck this, I'm going to start my own company. And she had this idea to create tea. Now, not just any tea, but she looked for ingredients to make a detox tea now detox is a word that's thrown around a lot in in English and I think in other languages as well it's kind of like an Anglicism so she basically got together three ingredients and she put together these little tea bags and then as far as the report that I was reading within one month she was making a thousand I think it's a thousand dollars 1,000 Australian dollars. I think she's Australian. A 1,000 Australian dollars a day. In a day. Not one month. No, in a day. <laughs> I was like, that's not bad. Now, she's actually gone on to build this huge empire around detox teas. And if you are on any kind of social media network, especially if you are a girl because they target these things towards women, I'm sure you will have seen these detox teas because they're highly well they're mainly promoted by people on Instagram by by influencers and I don't know it just struck me to talk about it because this is an example of what we would call a fad diet a fad now we can use fad as an adjective or a noun as an adjective we can also just use it as a noun we can say a fad now it's a bit of a weird word right fad like it sounds very strange A fad is basically like a craze, okay, a craze. Now, normally it means something that is like short-lived, okay, like a, you know, something that's very intense and very, a lot of enthusiasm, and then it dies down very quickly, a bit of a fad. Okay, now I can think of another example of a fad in the beauty zone, like there was recently on Instagram, all of these like machines that suck out like all your spots, like really gross. Well, they were a huge fad. I have to admit that I actually bought one and then realized that it was actually just a piece of shit. Like it was literally awful and I just threw it away immediately. Um, So that's like an idea of a fad, okay? The product probably isn't very good, but it's just like a huge, really intense craze. And this is kind of a little bit like that, but not really actually because these companies are making loads of money with these uh, diet teas or detox teas and one of the criticisms of these detox teas is that they are essentially just a laxative like they they literally are just a laxative they have they sort of say that they'll give you a flat tummy they'll stop you being bloated well essentially yes because they're a laxative like they make you go to the toilet so no shit like (laughs) you're you're not going to be bloated after that so there's a lot of criticisms about it, but essentially, what people are saying is it's just a load of marketing. And you know, if you just have a normal, healthy diet and you do exercise, you'll be able to achieve the results that you want. Bloody, blah, bloody, blah blah, blah, blah. But it's true. I've never bought them myself. I have to say that I'm not really a fan of fad diets. Like I know that they don't work. In fact, my <laughs> my only encounter with a fad diet was when I was about 23 or 24, and I did the juice diet now it's as bad as it sounds like all I had all day was juice juice for breakfast juice for lunch juice for dinner and it was awful like I was so tired I looked like shit like it was awful and not only that like I had to spend so much money on freaking fruit like I was I think I spent, when I first started the juice diet, you know, when you get like really, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be super thin and blah, 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 blah. And I spent like 100 pounds on fruit and it was just, it was just ridiculous. Anyway, I gave that up after like one week when I realized it was just a fad and ridiculous and really actually unhealthy. So I've never bought these things. But detox is a very, it's a big word that's quite, I think, a big seller. We often use it in English, we say to go on a detox okay so that's a that's a we can use it as a noun to go on a detox I need to go on a detox or we can use it with a verb we can say oof I'm going to detox okay it's like to get rid of all the toxins in your body but it also kind of has connotations of relax as well it's not only about nutrition and what you eat but it also kind of have connotations of like being a little bit more relaxed a little bit more chilled out but mainly about kind of flushing out to flush out toxins. That's a very common co-location that we say in English, to flush out toxins from your body. Well, I mean, really for me, the best thing to flush out toxins from your body is just to have a freaking glass of water. Like you don't need to spend X amount of money on this detox tea. Anyway, super successful companies and like it or not, these, they are extremely successful. And I think most of the time these companies, these detox tea companies are marketed at women but men have a lot of products like this as well and actually I think that's growing massively is the men's health and well-being market and if you notice, this is very funny but I always tell my male friends and family members this, if you go into a shop and you look at the price of male beauty products and you look at the price of women's beauty products, men's beauty products are so much more expensive And apparently, I was looking into this because I thought it was interesting. Apparently, one of the reasons is that, well, obviously in the women's beauty market, there's a lot more competition and there's a lot more products. So inevitably, that means that prices will be cheaper. But with men's products, one of the interesting things is that men generally will just go in, they'll just see something like, and they'll just buy it. So they don't really spend too much time looking, comparing, which one's better, which one has better reviews. Okay, I'm making a generalization here, but still. So what they'll do is they'll just go and buy it, and even though it's expensive, they'll just they'll just buy it anyway. So that's one of the reasons why they're so expensive. But I always tell my male friends, I'm like, buy women's products because number one, they're probably better. Number one, two, they're probably just exactly the same formula that's just been repackaged. So that's my little tip <laughs> for all the guys. Go and buy women's products because they're probably probably much better than men's products and they have much more testing and well testing I mean as in like more uh, I don't mean like testing on animals that sounds really bad but I mean like you know dermatology testing and improving the products because the women's beauty product market is like super competitive so they're always coming out with like new things anyway and also men have these things marketed at them that are like like these protein drinks, like powder drinks, like replace all of your meals with this powder and you'll be absolutely fine. I'm like, I don't think that's okay. I remember I had one friend, he was Argentinian, and he would only drink this stuff, only drink it one little powder milkshake in the morning, at lunch and at dinner. And I don't think it was because they were that interested in being healthy. I think it was because... They were a little bit lazy <laughs> they couldn't be bothered to cook. So rather than cook, it was just easier to just make a milkshake and be done with it. But I don't think that doing any of those is very healthy. So I think in general, fad diets, which has kind of become my little word for this section, fad diets are not a good thing. Well, in my opinion, they're not a good thing. So here's your speaking activity to go away and do by yourself. Think about the advantages and the disadvantages of going on a diet. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages of going on a diet or on a fad diet? Go away, think about it, speak to yourself wherever you are or write something down, a short paragraph about what, you're, what you think what are the advantages and disadvantages of going on a diet. I know what I think, you tell yourself what you think and practice a little bit of English at the same time. So there we go guys, wrapping up for today. I hope you liked the episode. Remember to check me out on Instagram at Anna with underscore two N's underscore English, that's the best place to find me. If you like the podcast, make sure you give me a little subscribe. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iVox. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back for another episode very, very soon. In fact, next week's episode is going to feature a very special guest. So make sure that you put a reminder in your calendar for next week, the 23rd of September. Very special guest. She's a little bit famous, actually, so I think you will really enjoy that. See you very soon. Bye.